So today I want to do, it's sort of a prophecy update, but because um, one, the youth, the children are up here with us, I didn't want to go into a lot of deal detail of uh, some of the horrific things that I perceive going on in our world today. I will mention a bit of these, but really want to talk about what we should be doing as Christians. I think that's more important. There's always going to be bad stuff going on in our world. There's always going to be challenges in our lives personally, uh, challenges in our workplace, challenges in school, challenges with family. We're all going to have issues that are happening that we need to learn how to deal with life and expectation of the promises of the Word of God and the coming of Christ. And that should always be in the back of our mind, the expectation of things that we could be doing to kind of help us through life. And so at the beginning of last year, we seem to be coming out of the overreach of the government's COVID restrictions, the vaccine mandates. Um, But simultaneously, we've had the rise of inflation that's really been reminded me originally, and I think largely because of our granddaughter Mackenzie and Mary and Philip this year, that it was a lot like when Lily and I were married um, over, now over 44 years ago, but uh, we got married and then shortly thereafter, we went into the 1981-1982 recession, and it was one of the largest recessions that our country had seen for a long time up to the current recession. Uh, recessions depend on how they will historically be looked at. Up to the things that have been currently going on since the Great Depression, there have been 13 recessions in our nation. 1982 is a pretty tough one. And I was looking at some of the graphs on this yesterday and the rise of fuel prices and transportation prices. Actually, in 81, 82, is a lot higher than what is happening right now. At least that's what the numbers look like. Sometimes I think they tweak the numbers to try to make us feel better. And we go to the gas station and wonder, yeah, you may be saying everything's good. We go to the stores. Lily came back from the store yesterday and said, I don't know, pretty wiped out at the grocery store and the meat department and everything, you know, and you try to spin it positively and saying, well, it's New Year's. Maybe everybody hit the store because it's a New Year's celebration and they just bought everything up. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the same store and I felt the same way and no eggs whatsoever. I mean, they were wiped out, uh, butter, everything was kind of slim pickings. And so we see those things going on. And I don't remember that happening per se back in the early 80s. But I do know that we went through a recession. It was a very difficult time. We bought our first home uh, after that, coming out of the recession. So we bought our first. We did it backwards. So I'm teaching youth and children today. So if you think you're going to buy a home, don't buy a car first. Buy the house, then buy the car. We needed a car. We bought the car first and then bought a house. So that was bad. Um, it's easier to get a car loan than it is a homeowner's loan. But the car loan was 18.5% interest. The home loan was 11.25% interest. Now, I'm glad that we only paid $39,500 for our home. So 11 and a quarter, though it was a lot, the price of the house was low, made it somewhat manageable for us, and we were able to get it done. 
That is not the case. The price of homes today are much higher. You're not going to find a... I did see uh, in Milburn once there was a house that was condemned and now has finally been remodeled and uh, people are living there again. But it was pricing out just 10 or 15 years ago for like $40,000. And it's like, I could do that. You know, I've done it before, but I'd done it before and I knew the headaches that would be involved. Plus, that house was sitting with water coming in and everything. It no doubt had a lot of problems with it. But there's other things going on today. I just put together a list. So we, we had a recession in 81, 82. But we were not dealing with gender dysphoria. There wasn't trans issues going on. There wasn't an abortion issue, although that was there and present. We had this year, you know, the battle between pro-choice and pro-life and the overturn of Roe versus Wade, which I'm glad they did that. But... It has caused uh, new laws and new battles to come into play since they overturned that ruling. We weren't dealing with the LGBTQ+. If you go back 40 years and just say those, and there's like, what are you talking about? What's L stand for? What's G stand? They would have no idea. So we weren't dealing with that, but these issues, again, have led to our uh, government just in the last month to have the Respect for Marriage Act, which I think um, we're going to have to deal with these things in the church and outside of the church. Also, the critical race theory that has led to calls for justice reform or justice, social justice and reparations in our nation. The ongoing climate change. Uh, also, there are those who talk about the Green New Deal. We've signed in our nation, not me, but our nation itself things that have caused the higher transportation costs and uh, even causing the inflation and the things that we are dealing with now, the manufacturing industry, food shortages that we see, but also laws that's coming in with the climate change of trying to limit the uh, gas emissions of cows and pigs. And, you know, uh, they did it a couple of years ago in California, which was leading the nation in uh pork production at the time, but they made it so difficult that we knew that it was going to be a hardship then. But those are things that they're wanting to get across our whole nation and parts of the world. They're wanting to get us away from the things that we have known. And so we've also seen, and it's happening in our state, these social reforms going into law right now in our state with no bail um, reforms that are in our law they're wanting to strip away right now trying to get away the second amendment and guns going on here in the state of illinois trying to pass laws that will pretty much make most people who own firearms suddenly against the law just because they've owned something that they've had they change the law they make it illegal you have to report and that's part of it they want you to report these things they want to know but also it is these things that are removing our rights here as the nation, and the Second Amendment, and the freedom of speech that we've known. There's the ongoing war there in Russia and Ukraine, and that got heated yesterday for them. It was us, but it was their New Year's Day, and Russia was pounding Ukraine yesterday. 
But we've also are dealing with voting rights, religious discrimination, hunger, poverty, overpopulation. The earth will um, come to 7.9 billion in population this year. And the more I think about these things, the more I could add to the list. I just this morning sat down and started writing things down. And when I'd written it and got through the thing, the sermon, the message this morning, and I was just rereading what I'd worked on earlier this week. But I was thinking there's more that I could talk about. But I don't want to talk about those things. We're dealing with them. We have to deal with them. And the way that I've learned to deal with those things is through the Word of God, to have the wisdom of the Word of God. What does the Lord God say And how should we conduct ourselves? And so we're going to deal with these issues. They're happening. We're dealing with them and they're impacting our lives right now. But how do we deal with them in a God-honoring way? And that's what's more important for me, for us to look at today. So I titled this Understanding the Times 2019. I used the same title, based it off the same verse of Scripture. But I went a different way uh, this time. But there's a good standard that I think we'll start with, with the sons of Issachar, looking at that in our first point, and then looking at times and seasons for our second point, and 100 seconds to midnight for our third point. So I want to pray and ask God to bless the teaching of his word before we get into it. I want to ask the Lord to bless our homes, the provision for our homes, and the provision for this fellowship. Father, we thank you for this day to gather together to worship you. There are troubling times on the horizon, but Lord, this is a day of celebration. For some, it will be a challenging day. Um, As horrific things are always going on in our world and in people's lives. For others, Lord, it will be a day of celebrating with their family, a nice meal, and looking forward to a new year. But Lord, in the looking forward to the new year, I just pray, Lord, that you would help instill in us a desire to know you and to know your word better and to be able to walk in fellowship in a way that will strengthen us for the things that might be coming that we don't even know about. I've already listed so many things and the list is long. But Lord, it's how we deal with these things that's important. I pray that you would... Just give us wisdom in your word today. Give us some nuggets of truth that we'll be able to take home with us. I pray, Lord, for the provision for our families. It has been challenging with inflation going on and uh, challenging for the income in the households, the cost of food, and the worry of that, uh, provision for our homes. So we pray for provision. We pray for wisdom. And that plays right into our fellowship as well, Lord. As I look over numbers and just uh, the last week looking at bills that we have here at the church that we, you know, when I started pastoring, we didn't even have those bills that didn't exist. But we're paying them now and the cost is there. And we just, Lord, depend upon you for our provision. We thank you, Lord, for the 30 years of ministry that you've given us. We pray, Lord. Just keep providing, keep giving us wisdom, keep giving us guidance. But more importantly, Lord, we pray for the ministry. Let it be an effective year of ministry for you. Open us up, Lord, to take chances, ventures of faith, to challenge ourselves in ways that we can reach out to our community in new ways. We pray your wisdom always. 
and a blessing of your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So the sons of Issachar, it comes from a time in 1 Chronicles chapters 11 and 12. The verse, the key verse is from 1232, which says, the sons of Issachar, I'm going to have to cough. Always easy singing and then teaching. Let's try it again. First Chronicles 12:32. the sons of Issachar, who had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. So that was just a standard. And the sons of Issachar, they were of the, of the understanding of what their nation would do when their nation was at a point of civil war. They helped to guide the nation just having that understanding coming from the word of God. And we go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 11 to kind of sum up the story. We find where David had become king, but at this point, after the death of King Saul, they put his son uh, Ishbosheth on the throne and the kingdom was divided for seven and a half years. There was civil war in their land and the people knew of God's anointing over David. The people knew that the prophet Samuel had anointed David just as he had anointed Saul to be their king. They knew that God had anointed David by Samuel, the same prophet anointed both men, that the kingdom would be divided. It was divided for a season, but they understood these things. They broke out into a needless, bloody civil war. In 1 Chronicles 11, 1 and 2, and the people, when they came to their senses or as they were coming to their senses, they said to David, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. We're of the same people, the same nation, basically, of what they were saying for them of the tribe of Israel. Uh, yes, of the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes divided in that nation. But we are of your bone and your flesh. Also, in times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. He was leading their military force, basically is what that phrase means. You led them out, you brought them in. You were leading us militarily. And the Lord, your God, said to you, so they knew the commandment that came through the anointing of David, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. So they knew the prophecy, the anointing of David, the words of the Lord through the prophet saying that David would be the shepherd, the king in Israel to lead and rule over the people of Israel. But they refused initially for seven and a half years to obey the commands of the Lord. They knew what God had said that they should do, but they refused to follow the word of God given to their nation. And how many countless lives could have been spared if the people of Israel would have simply surrendered to the will of God for their lives individually, for their families, for their nation. Around a thousand years later, Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews in Luke 19:42. If you had known even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
So Jesus here in Luke 19.42 is condemning the nation of Israel at large because they had refused to recognize the anointed one, the Messiah. They refused to recognize Jesus at his first coming. And Jesus said to them, if you'd only known, especially this your day, this was their day, this was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because they refused to follow the very word of God, they were more concerned quite often with status quo, keeping the government as it was at the time, a government ruled over by Rome that was ruled by the Herods, horrific kings that ruled over Egypt who were not Jewish, but Edomites that sat on the throne in Jerusalem. And the Jews of Jesus' day, they had discerned and Jesus condemned them for discerning, discerning things like the weather. You can look at the clouds at night and figure out what kind of day it's going to be on the next day. And yet you refuse to discern the coming, the timing of the Messiah's coming. In the Bible, we find that there are well over 800 prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, 330 specifically talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ, over 500 prophecies dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that first, that generation, when Jesus came the first time, they refused to hear the prophecies. We just came through Christmas. And when King Herod asked where the Messiah was to be born, they knew the answer. Micah 5, 2. In Bethlehem, Euphratha. They knew the answer, but they refused to go, even to go to Bethlehem, to follow the wise men, to see if indeed the Messiah had come. Will the generation alive at Jesus' second coming, and perhaps we are that generation, Will we also be as guilty as the generation that lived during Jesus' first com coming? Sadly, I believe most people will. While the current world trials, the tribulations, may or may not usher in the return of Christ, I do believe that we are closer now. That's true. You live one more day, you're closer now than when you first believed. That's always true. One more day, you're closer now than when we first believed. But we have, Lily and I, we discussed this this weekend because we listen to a lot of news programs, podcasts, and uh, we've heard this kind of a, a change of people over the last few weeks listening to these podcasts, different podcasts, interviewing different people, some who said, I used to be an atheist. An atheist means that I don't believe that there is any God, no God. Or I was agnostic, agnostic believes. It's actually uh, the Greek word that agnostic comes from. Just think about this, is where we get the word ignoramus from. So somebody says that they're agnostic, try not to laugh too hard. They believe that God cannot be known. That's basically what that means. God, there is a God, but he cannot be known. But people are changing their thoughts when listening to these men basically who have prominence in our nation and they realize that something spiritual is going on and now atheists are saying they're becoming agnostic you know they're 
They're saying, well, uh, there must be a God. We see the things going on in this world, and no longer do I believe that there is no God. And agnostics are getting closer, though they may not be saying that Christ is the answer. They are getting closer to realize that God can be known. They're admitting that something spiritual is going on in our land, that it's more than just issues going on in our nation of um, people kind of trying to figure out how we should live together as a nation, as a people group, but that there's something spiritual, both good and evil, happening in our time. And when considering the times that we are living in, I believe that the church now has a tremendous opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 3, 8, I know your works. This is to the church of Philadelphia. I know your works, and see, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. I've always liked the church of Philadelphia. It's one of the... Of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, if you know, there's only two that Jesus did not condemn or bring condemnation to them. It's all the, the church that's known as the church of brotherly love, Philadelphia, the meaning, meaning of that Greek word, that of brotherly love. But I liked it more so because you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name, that the Lord has set an open door that no one can shut and and I fear over the last two years that we have many churches in our nation that has allowed the government to close the doors. And uh, we've had, because of that and the result of that, uh, we've had people that have never returned to coming to worship together as the body of Christ. They've grown accustomed to having their church online but they're missing out on those some things. And I'll, I believe that the online ministry, some of the pastors, as we came out of the whole COVID pandemic and uh, they refused to do the online churches, we just went a little deeper, uh, purchased equipment that we could do it better. And uh, talking with Bob this morning and he's saying, I want to I want to tighten up things. I want to get better at this. And because it's hard to, you know, I know we have a, at least almost weekly a brother in India who's watching us. I don't want to turn that off. I want to keep those doors open, but we'll talk about that at the end and kind of wrapping up the message of some of the things that we can be doing. But sadly, the closing of our churches has led for many people to kind of walk away from the faith, to be weakened in their faith, and we have lost a step but to know that until the Lord comes, that there is an open door of ministry. Until Jesus says, that's it, and we're going to deal with the end time events. Until those days come, there is opportunity. And even in the seven years of tribulation, people will still be getting saved, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not time for us to give up. It's time for us to desire to continue the work that the Lord has called us to. So normally I have a closing bullet point. This week I turned it into a prayer. So every point instead of a closing thought is just a closing prayer. I'm going to read it as I wrote these out. 
But I close each of these points with a prayer. So, Father, help us to understand the times that we might know how to serve you in the current circumstances of our world. And even though we have little strength, help us to keep your word that we may not deny your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. So times and seasons, that phrase found three times. Once it's singular, the other two times is plural. So I put it in there as times and seasons for the heading of our points. But we find it first in Daniel 2, 20 through 23, that God is the one who controls the times and the seasons. After being carried away into Babylon, Daniel and his three friends found themselves in a predicament that could have cost them their lives. Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream by the Lord. Troubling dreams is what the Bible tells us. So more than one dream, there's one translation uh, interpretation of the dream that Daniel gives to Nebuchadnezzar. But King Nebuchadnezzar had a troubling night. He couldn't sleep. He had many dreams that stirred him. And he came to his wise men in the nation and he said, I want you guys to give me the interpretation of of what's going on. I just don't get it. I don't understand. Tell me what's going on. And so they said, and rightfully so, it seems for us, rightfully so, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I know you guys. If I tell you the dream, you'll just make up something in order that I won't kill you because you know me. And if I say off with the head, then off with the head. And they said, this is unjust. How in the world could anyone give the interpretation of something that they don't know what they're interpreting? And King Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't care what you guys think. Start killing them. Start killing the wise men. And so one of the Men, one of the soldiers or one of the leaders there in Babylon that favored, and he was named for us, favored Daniel. He came and told Daniel what was going on and kind of basically said, right now, the wise guys are getting killed in Babylon and you're on the list. And so Daniel, who's already appeared before Nebuchadnezzar, was set in kind of a high position of authority, but I believe, and we don't have a chronological timeline of this event, but it is believed that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they were um, taken captive when they were teenagers. They spent uh, years in preparation and learning for three years and kind of graduated from that, was found to be very wise and set over in high positions in their nation. But I would assume if we're trying to follow a chronological timeline, and it might fit that they're probably only in their 20s. Pretty bold to go stand before the ruler of the then known world and say, basically, give us some time. Let us pray to God that he might give us what you desire to give us the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar gave him the night, and Daniel went and found Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. That was their Jewish names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the Babylonian names that were given to them. And he asked them to join him in prayer. 
for the mercies of God, specifically the mercies of God to reveal to them the secret of the king's dream that they might not die with the other wise men. And so God answered that prayer that night, gave Daniel a night vision. And it tells us in Daniel 2, verses 20 and 23. Now this is just a praise of Daniel to God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. He raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my father, You have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we have asked for of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. In his praise, he hadn't even made it to the king yet, and we're not really going to deal with how Daniel addressed the king. That's not the point. The point I want us to get out of this for the first time in the Bible, these words, times and seasons are brought together. It is God who changes the times and the seasons that ultimately Daniel was saying, God, you are in control. One day, Nebuchadnezzar would learn this about God, but this would not be that day. But Daniel understood it about God. And sometimes um, we'll discover in the world that we live in that unbelievers will come to the recognition that God is in control. I've already talked about agnostics and atheists are saying there's something spiritual going on. I'm not sure that there is no God anymore. Or agnostics are saying maybe God can be known. We know that something spiritual is going on in our world. And it could be that recognition will come to those individuals at some point in the future. Like with Nebuchadnezzar, he would make a proclamation when the Lord would do a work in his life specifically targeting him. But it was good that the people of God knew this. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a God-fearer at this point. He would learn to fear God in the future. But it was good that the people of God knew this, that Daniel and his three friends knew this. It would be good, I would say then, that the church would know these things, that God controls the times and the seasons, that In him dwells light. He knows darkness. That he would give us wisdom. That he would teach us how we ought to walk and to please God in the day and age that we live in. The second time we find this, times and seasons. And again, it's plural in this account. It was with the... uh, Disciples, Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. So 40 days later, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, he had just finished telling the disciples, chapter 1, verse 5, that not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they heard this, and they asked Jesus, verse 6, Therefore, When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put under his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they're excited. I mean, they went in the last, can you imagine, the last two months of their lives from Jesus entering in with people praising the Lord as he came in with the people shouting, blessed is he who comes into the name, comes in the name of the Lord. When they were praising the Lord Jesus at the beginning of one week and by the end of that week that he was hung on the cross, put to death, buried, and then rose again on the third day. And now they're coming to the end of 40 days when Jesus would be taken up into heaven's glory. They didn't know everything about this as of yet. They were learning, but they thought, Lord, you've resurrected from the dead. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Is this the time? Are you going to get rid of Rome? Are you going to set up your kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. So chronos is the Greek word for time. It speaks about a space of time, whether long or short. And kairos is the Greek word that speaks about seasons. And it really has a sense of a fixed or definite period of time or a season. One of the authors stated about the times and seasons, saying Christians cannot calculate these times. God himself put them under an absolute schedule in accordance with the requirements of salvation history. And prior fixing of the year and of the day would be opposed to divine sovereignty. And so this is chronos, the technical term, times and seasons, applying it to last day events. Is this going to be the last day events? Is that time? And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or hour, only my father who is in heaven. And so we are not to know the times, we can't know the seasons, but we're not to worry about setting dates, but we are to live in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Matthew 24, 42 through 44, Jesus said to his followers, Watch therefore, you do not know the hour of the Lord's coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known the time of the thief, when he would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. The Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. And so we're not to know the exact date, if you find date setters that the Lord is coming, and I've read of many, I've heard of many, they've published books about the time of the Lord's coming. I don't even pay attention to those things. If they set the date, I know that I don't need to listen to them because Jesus said so. And if they say they're smarter than Jesus, that's another issue that we have to deal with. Jesus didn't know. He was just the son of God. How could he know? But we are to watch and we're to pay attention to what's going on in our world. And we're not to be blindsided by these things. We're to have an expectation of the Lord's return. 
But Jesus said what was more important to him, they asked, is this now the time of your coming? Are you going to set up the kingdom now? And Jesus said, that's in the Father's authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Don't worry about when I come again. Worry about the empowering of the Holy Spirit and being a witness of me in your community for them, Jerusalem. Beyond your community, Judea and Samaria, it would be like us saying Lake County and Kenosha County or Lake County and Cook County or to the ends of the earth uh, going anywhere in this world. Be concerned with that. You're going to be my witnesses. You shall receive power. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem. We don't have to do that. And the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon the church. But we might want to seek the Spirit's power upon our lives. We don't have to go to Jerusalem and have a tarrying meeting. Back in the days, they would call them that in the churches today, but it's not necessarily wrong to seek the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our church. We had a couple of times Jim Hesterly, uh, kind of a served at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, but his niche was uh, teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we had him out a couple of times. On one occasion, he came out and he taught. Um, we waited upon the Lord. He even uh, led us through an afterglow service. And it was the following day. Jim was gone. He was headed back to California. One of the brothers was talking to me. And he said, and I've never forgotten the words, how he phrased it. He said, I feel like I've been born again, again. That's how he worded it. There was this fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I was talking just in December with another brother from another church that said a similar thing. And I asked him, when did this start? He said, it started back in July of the past year. That it's like the hunger is greater now and everything is kind of building up and he's seeking to serve the Lord in a greater way. That it's not wrong to seek the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, but to know that we are to be about the witness of Jesus Christ in our Jerusalem, our Lake Villa, wherever we might live, our Judea and Samaria, the counties we live in, and the counties around us, to the ends of the earth, wherever the Lord might take us. The next time that times and seasons, this time it is singular, Paul's writing about it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6, where he says, but concerning, I don't know, it's plural every time according to what I wrote in my notes, but according to times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night. So when times and seasons, Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, he connects it with the second coming of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Verse 3, when they say peace and safety, nobody's saying that right now, but when they say it, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. 
and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So although we're not to know the times and the seasons, we're to be aware of that coming day. We're to... That's why um, once a month, on the third Wednesday normally of each month, I do a prophecy update. I talk about events that's going on in our world. I tie it to biblical scripture to help us to stay aware of the events going on in our world. This is important. The Lord has called us to this. God has given us prophetic his prophetic word that the day should not overtake us as it might overtake a thief who comes into our homes by night. Rather, we are to soberly watch. Our house got broke into. It was a January many years ago. We lived in Zion, uh, 2410 Adina Street, a little blue house. It was built in 1923. I know that house well back then because I tore it all apart and put it back together in many ways. But one thing that I did not get around to replacing yet was the front door that came with the house when we purchased it. At the time, it had a little triangle glass that was just positioned well enough. All you had to do is pop that triangle, reach down, unlock the door, walk in the house. It was a January that kids are at school, Lily's at work, I'm at work, and someone did just that. Now, the the police department, when they came out, they said, yeah, we've had a number of these. And I'm thinking, why didn't you tell us? I would have changed the door in advance if you had known the thief was coming. Um, And so I got a door and deadbolts and even a keyed deadbolt. These are risky, but and people get lazy anyways, and we probably did this too, that you actually need a key from the inside to unlock it, not just from the outside. So you can have it keyed both ways. But if you're trying to run out of your house at night, you don't want to be searching for a key. So they can be troubling. But we did that because our house got broke into. They could have found another way in, but they broke in. If I had known, I would have stayed home that day. And they would just wait until another day. Well, he's gone now. Let's go get it now. We're not to sleep. And this really referring to the unbelievers who are spiritually lethargic and they were as if dead. We are to be aware of these things. The world, they're spiritually dead to these truths. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. And we're to have an eye open to these things. We've seen political turbulence in our nation, in the nation of Israel. They had a new prime minister step in, new for his sixth term. So he's like in, they kick him out, and he comes back in. So Netanyahu, six times, the prime minister again, and he's a tough one. We'll see what God does with that. And he's actually set himself up that they don't, won't be able to kick him out as easily this time. But even in our own world, they're talking about implanting smart chips uh, that we can have all that information on us and our body and go to the doctor and just say, scan me. Or go to the airport and scan me. Go to the grocery store and scan me. 
all these things. They have that information there. Did you get your uh, vaccines? Are you up to date? Do you have your 559 vaccines? Scan me. Just find out. I try to figure it out, but the list is ongoing from, you know, I got, we were at the doctor yesterday and she was talking about, uh, she didn't talk about the uh, current vaccine that we're all talking about, but the flu vaccine that I haven't, I said I haven't had one since 2009, but you can see that in 2009, my body was a pincushion because I went to Africa and they're going to an area of every known disease where we were headed in South Sudan. And uh, I kind of got everything. But the point I want to make is that they redid some of the childhood vaccines that I'd received. But there wasn't 77 when Lily and I were growing up, as there is now. A child from kindergarten to high school, 77 vaccines is the list right now. That just seems unreal. So I was a sense of a pincushion, but it wasn't like, all right, we've got 77 vaccines to uh, update you on. Nothing like that. Um, but they want to know, but there's other things. We talked about this already, mentioning them, gender dysphoria, critical race theory, abortion, justice reform, climate change agenda, social justice. And then, you know, just think about this. When they have to put social in front of any other word, it, it means this. they're not talking about true justice. They're talking about something else. They're trying to re-engineer our society. That has resulted in the disrespect, or I'd rather like to say the destroyed marriage act that was passed. The Bible talks about Matthew 24, 7. There's going to be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, that these are things that's going to come. And in light of these things, we should know that the Lord's coming is very near. And so my written prayer for this point, Father, help us to understand the times that we might pray for the mercies of God to be upon us and our families. May we also seek the coming upon of your Holy Spirit, that we might be witnesses of Jesus in these last days. And finally, help us to soberly watch for your son's soon return. In the name of Jesus, amen. I think of that point, Daniel just saying to his friends, let's pray for God's mercies. That's as simple as it has to be sometimes. Mercy, Lord. Mercy. So I titled this 100 Seconds to Midnight. If you're not familiar with that phrase, it has to do with the doomsday clock. And I looked this morning and I haven't seen an update, but for the last two years, the doomsday clock, which I'll, I'll read what exactly that is, but it's changed, which I didn't know. I always knew, and it's been around since I was a kid, uh, because they started doing this in 1947, and I wasn't alive when they started doing this. So they would determine how far away or how close we are to nuclear destruction with the invention of the atomic sciences. There was the board of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists in 1947. They developed this clock, and they have moved it back and forth in 1991. It was 17 minutes to midnight. It's, we've always been in the last hour. We've never not been in the last hour. 
And uh, in 1953, it was two minutes to midnight, but right now we're 100 seconds. So one minute, 40 seconds to midnight. So they've stretched it out. They were talking about nuclear war uh, originally. Now, if you look at it, they've grown it and they've included climate change in there as well. And so they've brought it beyond what it was originally intended to be. But in 2021, I'm going to read a bit. In January 2022, the Science of uh, Science and Security Board, a bulletin of the atomic sciences, that's what they call themselves, nothing like a short name to describe yourself, set the doomsday clock at 100 seconds to midnight. Now, I remember being in, I specifically, and I don't know why, but I remember being in the fifth grade classroom and if there's an atomic bomb that goes off, hide under your desk. What would that have done? But we practiced it. We crawled under our desk in case a bomb went off. It would have done nothing, of course. So at that time, we called out Ukraine as a potential flashpoint. So this is prior to the war. January 2022. For many years, we and others have warned that the most likely way nuclear weapons might be used is through an unwanted or unintended, unintended escalation from a conventional conflict. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought this nightmare scenario to life with Russia's President Vladimir Putin threatening to elevate nuclear alerts levels and even first to use nuclear weapons if NATO steps in. And we're not going to talk about a lot of this. Um, it goes back to remember when the USSR fell and Ukraine became its own nation. There were many warheads in Ukraine. And so this is what's helped us to get into the conflict. And now $100 billion from the United States going into Ukraine that the uh, nations around Europe and the United States told Ukraine, get rid of your nuclear weapons, and if anything ever happens, we'll protect you. So we kind of made back in 1992 a promise, a pledge to Ukraine, get rid of the nukes, and we'll take care of you. I don't know, <laughs> but here we are. That day finally came. And now we're involved in it as much as the rest of the world. So the doomsday clock, Paul didn't have a doomsday clock. 1947 hadn't come around yet. But he was concerned about the Great Commission and knowing the time. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, And to do this, knowing the time, that now it's high time to awake out of our slumber, for now as our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as the day, not in rivalry or drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So Paul basically said, the day is at hand. 
He lived with the expectation of the Lord's soon return. That's how we are to live today. There was no doomsday clock for Paul to even worry about. He had the Roman Empire that was troubling the world at that time. There's always things that will trouble the world. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to live in expectation of the Lord's return. Also in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider one another to stir up good works and to stir up love. That's things that we are to be doing. Stir up good works, stir up love, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Come to church as is the manner of some. We find that that's happening today. Exhort one another. So much so as you see the day approaching. The Lord is coming again. And we need to be in preparation of the Lord's coming. So we are, according to Paul, we're to put on and we're to cast off. From Romans 13, 11 through 14, three things I drew out of that. We're to cast off, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. So, To cast off in the Greek, it's a word that means to renounce or to lay down, to lay aside. And what are we to cast off the works of darkness in order that we might put on lights, put on lights. So the idea of putting off, casting off darkness to put on the armor of lights and according to Colossians 3, 12 through 14, that includes Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, but above all, put on love, Paul says. We're to walk properly as the day, not in rivalry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy. So to walk, peripateo is the Greek word, it means to tread all around. So next time it snows, And there's enough snow to take the kids or grandkids out to the sled hills. If you get out there before anybody gets there, you'll have this fresh blanket of snow. And you might sit at the bottom and watch them climb up and down. You might even, um, (laughs) I did it with the boys several years ago now, and they were recording me coming down the moguls over here at uh, Caboose Park. And it sounded like a cowboy on a stagecoach, like with the whip going, yeah, no, I was just crying out in pain and every hit as we were going down, it was just me crying out in pain. But you start treading that snow down. That's the word, peripateo, let me look at it right. To tread all around, it means how we conduct ourselves. This is the way we walk. It makes those paths. When I grew up, we had a garden, pretty sizable garden, but between our yard and the garden was the uh, path that me and my friends and people I didn't even know, we lived next to a 100-acre woods, to borrow from Winnie the Pooh. Um, And the way to get to the woods was to cut through the Purnell's property. And if they would cut through our yard, we'd tell them to go down the path. The path was so beaten down by foot traffic and mini bike traffic and motorcycle traffic that nothing ever grew there. 
That's this type of word. Tread it down so hard that the stuff of this world, rivalry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, strife, envy, it just can't grow up in your life. And then finally, put on. We're to put on Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh or fulfill its lusts. And so that in duo is the Greek word. It means it has this sense of putting on a, a soft garment. And so think about being cold. It's winter. Tuesday is going to be 60. It'll feel like summer to us. But it's still winter. And when you wrap up in that blanket, that's the sense of in duo. To put on Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. To be baptized into Christ. So the doomsday clock says 100 seconds to midnight. They may or may not change it this January. We'll have to see. Jesus said we're not to concern ourselves with times or seasons that God has put under his own authority. Rather, we are to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit that we might effectively be a witness for Jesus by putting on Christ. Here's a promise I want to just, this has been in my head, and it's always in my head. But here's where the promise comes from. I had to look it up and find it. So the world is saying, and I didn't pull out, and you can look it up if you want to, since the 1970s, our world has been on the edge of destruction every 12 years. If we don't change things in 12 years, the world's not going to exist anymore. This has been going on since the 1970s. They've been wrong since, the night, since I was 10 years old. They've not gotten it right. And at 11, they still haven't gotten it right. Now I'm older than 11. Now, it's not that we're not to be aware of things, but the times and seasons are in God's authority. We are to effectively walk in the ways of Christ. So the Lord promised Noah after the flood, after he had offered sacrifices to the Lord, given him the rainbow. God said, Genesis 8:22. it's the last verse of chapter 8, while the earth remains, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Now the world is telling us if we don't change things, these things are going to cease. And I'm thinking if these things cease, it means that God says the times and seasons had come to their completion and they're ceasing because God says so, not because of anything that we do. I rely upon the promise of God. I always have. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. So, Father, help us in this coming year to keep the main thing the main thing, to help us to put off darkness and the darkness of this world, that we might put on the attributes of Christ, and most importantly, give us wisdom, give us courage, give us boldness to proclaim your truth to all who will hear. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. One last verse, and then we'll close out in a song of worship. Paul wrote in Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Talking about people outside of the faith. Walk in wisdom toward them. How we conduct ourselves. Always be with grace. Watch how you talk with others. Let it be with grace. Seasoned with salt. Salt in the Bible days was used as a preservative. It had a preserving influence. 
upon the meat that it was put on, the fish. Um, it was useful in not just flavor that we use it mostly for today, adding flavor or salting a parking lot to keep ice off it. It had its use. So let our speech be seasoned with salt. Let it be useful that you may know how you ought to answer each one. But let it be with grace. I believe that you can't understand the times rightly without faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the first step of coming in faith in Jesus Christ. Second step is five disciplines. I gave you this last year. And these are things that I have just, in my life, doing a survey, these are things that the Lord has given me that has helped me in my walk. And the five things is the hearing of the word of God. And so that, to me, means exposing myself to biblical teaching. And I do it throughout the week. The discipline of prayer, to always be in prayer. The discipline of studying God's word, not just listening. And I would just challenge you, if you're not used to reading a chapter a day, if you're not used to reading, studying God's word or studying chapters of the word, just start reading verses and start memorizing verses. Get it in your head. Have something to grow thereby. The discipline of meditation, thinking about the things that you have read, and the discipline of godly counsel. Five things. Hearing the God's word being proclaimed, prayer, prayer, studying God's word, meditating on God's word, and if needed, godly counsel. I believe if we follow the first four, godly counsel will not necessarily be needed as much, but there are times when we might need that. A good way to start out the year to get into God's word.